0: Welcome to this episode of the Dental Assistant Nation podcast, powered by Ignite DA. My name is Kevin Henry. I am not only the co-founder of Ignite DA, but also the editor-in-chief for DrByCuspid.com, and so glad that you've joined us, whether you found us through Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, or DrBicuspid.com. We are trying to bring you the latest information, and we are so glad to once again have one of the great voices out there for dental infection control, uh, and that is Mary Gavoni. Hey, Mary, what's going on? Hey, Kevin. Um, Well, we've
1: been wanting (laughs) more information from the CDC, and boy, did we get it. Yeah. Uh, This is a lot more detailed than I anticipated that the uh, CDC was going to go into, but it's good because it really gives us
0: answers to a lot of questions, some of which we may not like. (laughs) Well, and I know you poured through it and I want to get into that in just a minute. But, you know, a question I've been getting and, and I've been wondering is, you know, what role really does the CDC play in all this? I know this is interim guidance and we've been, you know, waiting on it and looking for the update. But what well, is the CDC's role here? Well, it's.
1: I, I liken it to kind of being the, the middleman in this situation. Of course, the, the, in terms of the, the team safety, OSHA always gets the final say, and um, they look to the CDC for guidance on what particular things to do on infection control and prevention. So OSHA is is the top dog i guess i would say and word on the street is that osha is now on the targeted or dentistry is now on osha's targeted enforcement list because of you know all the issues that have been raised about aerosols. so i think that's not necessarily good news for dentistry um but they're looking at employee safety issues so many dental professionals view CDC guidance or guidelines as voluntary suggestions. You can do it or not do it. Yeah, it's good to know. But many state dental boards include CDC guidance or guidelines and compliance with those guidelines in their dental rules. So every dental assistant, every hygienist, every dentist should be checking with their state dental board to see Um, whether or not their rules say that you must comply with CDC guidelines. If you do, then they essentially have the force of law because you could have disciplinary action against your license if you're not following CDC guidelines. So, and I know people are still talking about, well, what does the ADA recommend? And the ADA bases their recommendations on what OSHA says and what CDC says, but they don't have, as we've said before, they don't have the regulatory authority. So, What the CDC
0: says really is what we need to be doing. It's the standard of care for safety. And I know, again, you've poured through this. And Mm -hmm. so I guess the question is, what did the CDC say that really jumped out at you that you think don't professionals kind of need to be highlighting or really looking at?
1: Yeah, great question. So the first thing that I look at is under the topic of facility considerations. And there are... um, Recommendations, which we've talked about a lot in the past, about posting signs in visible areas in appropriate languages about hand hygiene and um, cough etiquette, you know, the right way to cover your cough and not cough or sneeze into your hands. Those things are readily available from CDC. Um, the other is the recommendation to put physical barriers Um at, sneeze guards is basically what they're called in the reception areas so that there's protection for the the business team personnel when folks are are checking in they talk about minimizing the number of patients in the waiting room we've heard that before but they also added a statement in about minimizing overlapping dental appointments mm-hmm. and we'll talk about what that means because further along in the document it says that there should only be one clinical patient at a time in the office. So I don't think that's realistic. I, uh, I don't know what practices would do with, with that. So then there's a lot of information um, about getting the practice back up and running after it's been shut down. And a really important thing to remember is that the qualification standards, according to the manufacturers of sterilizers, say that to qualify a sterilizer for use, you have to do three consecutive cycles with a spore test in them. So if practices haven't done that and they're already open, oops, too late. Um, but if they haven't opened yet, then they should do that and then run a um chemical integrator along with that, that you should be placing in every load because you may be sending out your spore tests and won't get them back um, maybe before the practice is opened up. So that should be done. Um, I think every dental practice owner needs to be having a conversation with their HVAC um, specialists because they talk about having the um, HVAC system evaluated for the number of air exchanges, um, possibly looking at including uh, some kind of UV light filtration in what they call upper room. So it's above the ceiling um, where the information or the, the air goes up into the, into the system. And they have some really interesting information about where you place. And I know a lot of practices have bought, HEPA filtering units to put in the treatment rooms and they say to place them in the vicinity of the patient's chair, but not behind the dental healthcare professional and ensure that the dental healthcare professional is not positioned between the unit and the patient's mouth. And that's typically how they've been set up in practices. So they kind of go towards usually The patient's head is more towards the entrance to the treatment room and then towards the back of the treatment room by where the patient's feet are is where a lot of people are positioning their units. So what it's doing then as they draw the air, it's pulling it past the dentist, the assistant, the hygienist into the filter. And that's not what they want. They want it going the other way. Hmm. So that was a bit of a revelation.
0: (laughs) Okay.
1: Um, didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Um, and they talk about having six feet of space between patient chairs. So that may affect, um, obviously, um, practices with open floor plans. Right. And they call for physical barriers between the patient chairs. So I don't know what that can mean a partition. Um, I've heard of some orthodontic practices putting up curtains. Um, but they obviously have to be made out of some kind of material to, um, stop the aerosols and wow. Yeah. And determine the maximum number of patients who can safely receive care at the same time in the facility based on the number of rooms, the layout of the facility and the time needed to clean and disinfect. And then here's the the little kicker from the asterisk on this part. To allow time for droplets to sufficiently fall from the air after a dental procedure, we should wait 15 minutes after the completion of treatment and departure of the patient to begin room cleaning and disinfecting. Oh, wow. So that blows up the schedule and they're going to have to perhaps start a timing process. So let the aerosol settle. Um, but then it's contradictory to the statement that I mentioned before that you should only have one clinical patient at a time so that I'm not going to worry about that but if we wait the 15 minutes and then go into cleanup so essentially I think you're going to have to have about 25 30 minutes in between patients
0: which is definitely different than a lot of practices who are doing yeah
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And certainly for orthodontic practices, for pediatric practices that have a higher number of patients. So that, that's, uh, that's going to be a little interesting. Um, One of the other things that they talk about is a concept called universal source control. um, And it addresses the use of face masks. What they say is that we should be wearing, they, they, go exactly on what OSHA said for aerosol generating procedures, N95 respirators or higher, something like a PAPR device or something else. And you could take that, you don't have to leave that N95 on all day long. You can take it off. And in the times when you're doing non-patient care procedures, you should still have a mask on, but they're saying that cloth masks would be acceptable. So cloth masks could easily be laundered and reused, do it with the, you know, yeah. contaminated gowns or scrubs. So that I thought was kind of an interesting concept. We hadn't talked about that before. So it says when they're not engaged in direct patient care activities, then switch a respirator or
0: a cloth mask or a, a surgical mask. So okay. I thought that- well, Let me let me just see if I can figure okay. out yeah, and, and kind of put a puzzle here together real quick. And you tell yeah. me if I'm right or wrong here. So the patient is done with the procedure. The, mm-hmm. the, the uh, practitioners are still wearing the N95 mask. As the patient leaves, they can switch over to a cloth mask, go like to the reception area, the, the break room, wherever, hang for 15 minutes, wait for the droplets to fall, and then they can clean and sterilize the room while wearing the cloth mask. And then when the next patient comes in is when the N95 has to go back on, is that correct? Exactly, exactly. And so
1: we're allowing for the N95, at least for now because of the supplies and the emergency use authorizations to be reused, but then you have to take care when you put it on, to, you know, you, you should have gloves on or you put it on and then immediately wash your hands in case you've touched the mask or the respirator. So yeah, you've got it exactly right. And they do still say in these guidelines that you should change a gown, either a reusable launderable gown or a disposable gown needs to be changed after every patient and again, this is interim I don't believe this is going to be forever and then um, wash your hands immediately so that in case you contaminated yourself with any droplets when you took that gown off. Now in the in the other CDC guidelines the the previous ones they talked about having a receptacle right in the treatment room to dispose of either the reusable gowns or the the disposable gowns, but that I, unless I've missed it, I don't see it in these guidelines. And I think that's unrealistic anyway. Um, And who in the world wants a laundry hamper in the treatment room for patients to see or potentially be exposed to. So I think you can, if you take it off, you can turn it inside out and then take it to a centralized area where you can dispose of it but it still says put on a clean gown after every patient. And that's kind of what people don't want to, right. to hear. Um, yeah.
0: But again, it's temporary.
1: It is temporary. Um, they talk about disinfecting methods. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention, they do say under patient care that there is no scientific evidence to support the use of pre-procedural mouth rinses. And I know that that's been heavily touted as an infection control measure. They haven't been um, studied with respect to COVID-19 with the SARS-CoV-2 virus. They've been studied for other microorganisms. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not a good idea. It's just that there isn't a lot of science behind it. it. So um, the guidelines talk about... Um, using UV light devices, possibly for um, disinfection. But they also say that the EPA has not confirmed under the circumstances of using it with COVID. And that's the thing I hear. We talked about this earlier um, in a different podcast about people using fogging systems and, and those kinds of things that haven't been studied yet with respect to COVID. They've been primarily studied with respect to Ebola virus. Um, So I wouldn't use that. Plus, um, we got information that says that it's not as easy to spread COVID from droplets. So using simple um, types of... wipe disinfecting protocols and and they also say that they don't recommend the use of sanitizing tunnels which i believe they mean the foggers because they can cause eye re- um skin respiratory irritation and damage so i plus you can't have people around when you do that right and so you have to throw everybody out of the office in order to to fog so they're not not recommended um <laughs> where?
0: And let me let me just ask you this, because I know we we're saying it's interim, it's temporary. And I know when the first set came out, you and I talked about, well, there will probably be some changes coming to this. Do you mm-hmm. think there will be more changes coming after this has been around a little bit? Because I think that's one thing where dental professionals get so frustrated is they think, hey, now we have some answers, and then the target moves a little bit. Right.
1: Well, you know, I think the biggest answers the biggest questions that we had, can we use ultrasonic scalers or not? And they still say it's not recommended, but, and they still say that um, aerosol producing procedures are not recommended, but that isn't realistic. Um, they do say that if you are going to produce aerosol, um, proce- do aerosol producing procedures, that you need to make sure you do have an N95, that you have another filtering face mask, which would be a KN95 with a face shield. And the last resort, which is similar to what we said before was use a surgical mask, but they still don't recommend doing aerosol producing procedures with anything less than an N95. And that's very consistent with what OSHA says. Okay. And if we truly are on the, the hit list, if you will, um, for targeted enforcement, then OSHA is definitely going to be looking for N95s to be worn for those aerosol procedures.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> yes, yeah, so you you alluded to that. When we, will OSHA come out with some kind of statement, or is it just something that everybody kind of needs to be prepared for? This really could happen. Be ready.
1: Yeah, I think that they may make some kind of an announcement. Um, I also think that OSHA will update some of their. Interim guide, guidance as well. Now that the CDC guidelines have been published, and we saw that happen with about a week of lag time, and it may take a little longer since we have a holiday, and and so forth. But I think the I think that OSHA will um, come out with some more guidance about what they expect. Um, these guidelines are very specific again about fit testing yeah. and. Um, making sure that all the medical questionnaires are are gone over um, before people are wearing their N95 respirators. Um, They don't talk in these guidelines about disinfecting and reusing face masks. So I think the CDC is believing that perhaps the supply is better, although some people may disagree with that. Um, and I've, you know, had a lot of discussions with, with practices over the last couple of weeks Well, I can't get them. Well, you know, you need to try multiple suppliers, um, not just your usual that you have the loyalty to. And I get that, but there are other suppliers that may have them available. And part of the thing is that employers don't want to pay the extra cost. So then they hide behind the, in some cases they hide behind the thing. Well, they're not available. Well, yeah, they're available, but the price is going to be higher. Yeah. And, you know, something that that practices may want to consider that the way to get a good supply of N95s is to order a lot of them and you get a little bit of better pricing. And some dealers actually require you to buy, you know, 500 or more at a time. Well, make friends with another dental practice and buy the get the order and split the cost so then you can have them. Have them available, but it's we just can't say, oh, I can't get them, therefore I'm not going to wear them. And I think when we see cases, if we do, of people getting um, becoming COVID positive because they haven't been wearing adequate personal protective equipment, respiratory protection, then we may have some issues. And worst case scenario is that we would get shut down again
0: yeah.
1: if this starts happening. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting. So. Um, so Those, I think, are really the highlights that they've clarified. They're standing firm on the, on the personal protective equipment requirements. Um, again, talking about the N95 or higher respirator. I, I think the thing, as you asked before, what could change, what new kind of guidance we would get, I believe perhaps that the CDC may back down on their recommendation that we change the gowns after every patient. Sure. once we seem to be past the um, the pandemic. Um, but then it could get reinstated if we have, you know, another outbreak again later on, as some of the experts are are predicting. But, you know, it, everybody's been asking, how long do we have to wait in between patients? And I think that question's been answered. 15 minutes to allow the droplets to settle and then disinfect. And then however long it takes for you to get set back up again. So... If you're really fast, it could maybe be 20 minutes, or if you're not so fast, then maybe 30 minutes. Absolutely, in between patients, and I think that was
0: the biggest question people had. Wow, that I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so much that you could pour through, and I and I know that people will want to do that, and so we're gonna put the link to the new uh, interim guidance. Uh, on the Dr. Bicuspid article that we run, as well as on the Ignite DA Facebook page whenever we post this podcast so everybody can look for themselves. Uh, I know that there's a lot to go through. And Mary, I know you're going to provide some resources as well as, uh, you know, you're you're answering a lot of questions right now. I know that as well. So could you tell our viewers or listeners, I should say a little bit about that?
1: Sure. I'm in the process right now of creating a a video presentation, essentially a recorded PowerPoint presentation that goes through these guidelines point by point, um, and then um, applying it into different types of dental practices. So how do we do this? And so that should be ready. Um, It'll be available on my website, marygavoni.com. It should be available by the 27th. So next Tuesday, which may coincide when our listeners are, are, um,
0: yeah. able to access this podcast. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Could be very good timing. And, uh, you know, again, Mary's got a lot of great information. Mary has been very kind. I know to answer emails that have come through, you know, cause there, <laughs> there has been so much confusion and so many voices in the dental professionals ears about what they should or shouldn't be doing or what best practices are or what they're not. And so, um, I, I guess, and, and I'll just leave you, I'm just going to ask you a real quick question. It Do you, because you and I were talking about, we hope that the next interim guidance would be more clear and concise. Do you, mm-hmm. do you think it is?
1: I do think it is. I was pleasantly surprised that it is, it, it's answering many of the questions that we had, although it's also put, there's some points in here that, like I said before, I just didn't see that one coming at all. Yeah. That, um, So yeah, we, It's kind of careful what you wish for. (laughs) But yeah, I do. I think this clarifies it a lot. It doesn't necessarily mean it's more palatable to um, the end users that have to follow this guidance, but at least we have it in black and
0: white and then we can make decisions based on that. Well, and that's where you bring in experts like Mary. This is where you ask experts like at OSAP.org. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people Focused on dentistry, who can help you navigate through some of these questions wow. you may have, some of the verbiage that you may read that doesn't exactly sit clear with you. So make sure, don't guess. You know, reach out to the experts, reach out to the people, ask some questions. Uh, you know, I think that we're all navigating the same thing right now, and so it's important that we learn together and, and learn from experts. So Mary, thanks for your time so much, and thanks. Oh, for- welcome. Yeah, and, thanks and- for having me. Oh my gosh. And, and I so appreciate you actually diving into this and reading it because let, let's be honest, there are some folks who be like, hey, I'll check that out later. So I'm glad that we've got the cliff colifno version from you for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. it's uh, and, and if you look, at, if anyone pulls up this link from the Dr. Bicuspid um, website, then you'll know that they're in each Section. there's a link to yet another document. So you go from there to get more in-depth information, then come back to this one and then go to another link. And so it's kind of all over the place. So yeah, Cliff Notes version is probably the best way to, oh, to talk. To.
0: Oh man. Well, <laughs> Great. thank you so much, Mary. I really do appreciate it. And, and thanks to all of you for listening. We know that these are interesting times, shall we say. And, and we know that there are a lot of uh, voices out there telling you what uh, what to look for, what to do, what to think about. And we want to make sure that we bring you experts so that the voice that you're hearing from them is accurate and it's something that can really help your practice uh, get through these tough times. So uh, thank you so much for being a part of us. Uh, You know, if you liked what you hear, give us a like, uh, subscribe, we would love that. Uh, You know, and we're going to make sure that we keep on top of the ever-changing dental rules, regulations, guidance, whatever it might be, and bringing you experts who can help you through it as well. So for now, Kevin Henry, uh, Editor-in-Chief for Dr. Bicuspid, as well as co-founder of Ignite DA, asking you to stay safe, stay healthy, and stay educated.